Uh, we begin with our scripture in 1 Timothy 3.15. I need somebody that will catch that for me. 1 Timothy 3.15, we want to use that as again, Mark Hamilton. And then I'd like Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Somebody over on this side, uh, John Staples, if uh, you will catch that for us. And while they're finding that, for those of you who are visiting this morning, this is a study uh, that we've been doing. We've discovered a number of truths already that are very beneficial in Bible study and some, uh, some things are beginning to open Scripture and tie Scripture together. Scripture with Scripture that gives the divine revelation. And so uh, I wonder, as we uh, just refresh our memories, if we have any um, uh, input of something that has uh, opened to you, that really uh, has touched you, that would give you an understanding and uh, has helped you in understanding of Scripture. Anyone just kind of like to refresh our memory as we start out this morning? What day is this? God's house, okay? What, does the, what did we find out uh, that God's house has to do with a family? We kind of wound up there last week. And uh, what does the family have to do with the subject of God's house? Anybody? Uh, John Palmer? Okay, we found out, he says, that uh, in order to qualify to be a steward, in God's house, the first re requisite is that we be a steward or learn how to be a steward in our own house. Okay, that's excellent. Anybody else? Uh, Bill Bancroft. Okay, we found out, uh, Bill says, that this stretched clear on back to a prophecy uh, that was given to David uh, perhaps um, uh, 3,000 years ago or somewhere about 3,500 years ago, uh, 9, 18, 27, no, 2,700 years ago, and that uh, this stretched clear on down into eight to 900 years into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and believers uh, are a fulfillment of that prophecy that's given to David that is linked directly to our understanding of God's house. Very good. Someone else? Any other refreshing of our memory? Okay, let's start out with our scripture here. And uh, in First uh, Timothy 3.15, could, uh, we have that in a loud, clear voice. Okay, one verse too many, but that's all right. Uh, what we wanted was that God's house, according to the Bible in the New Testament, is the church of the living God. What is the, what is a church? What is a church? Four Square Gospel? Cindy? It is an assembly of believers, okay? Uh, technically gathered together, summoned by the Holy Spirit to hear and to do business for God. That's what a church is. It's the ecclesia, is the Greek word, which literally means it is the assembly 
of God's people gathered together uh, for the specific purpose of doing business for God, okay? And so then Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Okay, here we find a parallel drawn or contrast uh, between Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ and says that we then are uh, his house, we are Christ's house, who came as a son over his own house. Tremendous play on words that begin to be deeper as we study this uh, week by week. These words begin to unfold and give us great understanding because we not only are his house, uh, but he has authority to confer upon us authority in his house, but he also is a, a, not only a steward of God's greater house, but he also uh, has a son over his own house. And so uh, we have those, uh, those plays in Scripture as we study the subject of God's house. Now, we didn't get through last week with, uh, with our study, uh, but we, uh, want to, we want to refresh our memory with the five words that we're interested in in this study. What are the five words? Never mind the Greek. What are they? Somebody give them to us. The five words. Louis, which is what? The physical property, okay. The household, which is what? These are the people and would include who? Technically, though. Servants in the family, right? Okay, go ahead. Uh, how about the householder first? The man who owns the house? The servants, okay. Which are the household servants? And then, and the uh, steward or the manager or the administrator or the keeper of the house. Okay, very good. Those five words, very, very uh, important that we understand those. There's a physical house. This is the people that are in it. This is the, the man who owns it all or whose house it is. These are the servants inside, and this is the steward, the manager or the administrator of the house. Okay, so we wound up last week. We did not get through with our study, but we want to talk about building God's house. And uh, there is a, a word that's used, oikodomis, which is a word that we find in our Bible, edification. From which comes the English word edifice. Okay? Building God's house. So we want to talk about that. And so the congregation is seen in the Word of God as a house that is built by God. I want several verses of Scripture over on my right in the new section, Hebrews 3 um, and 4. Uh, somebody find that for me. Rob Kennard, Hebrews 3, 4. I want Matthew 16, 17 through 19. Uh, Kathy uh, Corsi, uh, Matthew 16, 17 through 19, and I want Zechariah 4, 8. Was that you, Lyle? Had your hand up. Zechariah 4, 8. Building God's house. We want to talk about this morning, and we want to examine for a moment building God's house. The congregation, the assembly, the church, all of these are synonymous. Congregation is not... Uh, the primary thought, but the assembly or the church is 
seen as something that is built by God. It's not a human instrumentality. It's not engineered by human genius. It does not depend upon our ability. It does not depend upon our genius. It is not contrary to modern techniques. It is not built by human talent or showmanship or uh, charisma or all the other things that are used today to assemble groups of people together that are being uh, represented as God's church. God's church is built by himself. It's not built by human manipulation, not built by a better program, not built by a, a slick uh, maneuvering. It's not built by the manipulation of people. It's not built by capitalizing on, on uh, human uh, ego. Many congregations are, are put together and are built by nothing more than ego. You can be in a church where this is used, and if you know, what, uh, if you know the basic premises of psychology, it makes you want to gag. You touch all the buttons, all the egos. You push all the egos. If you keep all the egos functioning, it, it, it does wonderfully. But when you quit pushing the egos, the, chair, the assembly, the congregation, it disappears. Amen. And sooner or later, you cannot push all the egos. Amen. You don't have enough genius to push egos. Bill Bancroft. Man, I'm bad. I'm really bad. I'm the baddest of the bad. They ask me all the time to tell me how bad I was. When I when others come along that was just as bad, well, we get being out of shape. Okay. Very good. Okay, the congregation is seen as a house built by God. Hebrews three four. We could have that out loud. He that built all things is God. Oikodome. This is a, a, a word which we read in our English and there are variations of it which are edify or edification, build. You hang with me just a moment. We'll get back to that. Matthew 16, 17 through 19. come back to that scripture in a moment, but there we find that uh, Jesus said he is the one that builds his church. Zechariah 4, 8. 9, probably. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Is that there anywhere in that area? Four six. Okay, I wrote that down by memory. You can find out how good my memory is.
Okay, the whole book of Zechariah is a tremendous play off the rebuilding of the temple out of the Babylonian captivity and goes into the building of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As, as your Bible student, you soon pick that up very rapidly and begin to see that in there. And so uh, here we find the truth. God says that uh, I will build it. Now, the word edification that we're looking at here, or the building of God's house, doesn't have the idea that is later associated with it. In other words, we, we uh, in America especially, we almost have the idea that this is something that's like the Lone Ranger. This is a Lone Ranger operation, just Jesus and me. I'm just going to get built up, and I'm going to make myself strong, and I'm, 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 me, 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 me. But this word edification literally means and has a tie-in with relationship with the rest of the house or congregation. And all through this, uh, this, uh, this building, uh, that as God builds, and God is the builder, the Lord Jesus said, I will build, we find the Holy Spirit. So here we find three scriptures that God the Father, uh, Jesus Christ the Son, and uh, who is God, and God the Holy Spirit, all uh, are spoken of in Scripture as building this house. And so there's a relationship with the rest of the house or the congregation, and Scripture knows nothing of Christians in isolation. People who say, I'm just going to, I'm just worship God in my home. You, you don't even understand the Bible. You're violating every principle, and besides that, you're a rebel. You cannot just worship God at home. It's a violation of the entire Christian revelation and of the entire concept of God's house. It knows nothing in Scripture, and uh, you, uh, you are not an interpreter of Scripture, as we're soon going to find out, to build God's house and being built into God's house and being a part of God's house has at its very root relationship with the rest of the house. <clears throat> Bill? Okay, Bill says that uh, you can't worship God except in obedience to his word. And I want First Peter 2.5 over in this section somewhere. First Peter 2.5. Steve Domorowski, would you get that for me? And I want Ephesians 2.19 and 20, uh, Morgan Werta, and Ephesians 4.16, uh, Dan Atherton. I want those three scriptures, and we want to take a look at edification or the building of God's house. It has to do with the relationship with the rest of the house. Building God's house. Orchidomies. Congregation is seen as a house built by God. First Peter two five. This tells us that believers are built up as a spiritual house, and this is speaking collectively, doesn't it, isn't it, Steve? In the context, it shows a collective building. There's no such thing. And so, uh, in, in the, especially in the Western church, there is the thought of, I just, I'm edified. This is a personal thing, that I'm edified. But the word edification has to do in relationship, and we are built up, or we are edified, or built up as God's house in relation to the whole, not in isolation. 
That's why it's very important that relationship one with another, if possible, be maintained, and this is why rebels have no place in the house of God. The moment you say, I can do it on my own, you're dead. You've already become a tool of the devil, and you're being deceived, and before he's through with you, he'll wring you out like a sucked-out lemon and throw you the same. There's no such thing as edification or building in God's house alone. So we are built a spiritual house in relationship to others by God himself. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Okay, this speaks of the building again and uh, says that uh, we no longer are strangers, but we're fellow citizens with the saints of God and of the household of God. See these words coming into play again. This, this immediately, as we begin to understand the background, then this word becomes alive, doesn't it? Let's us know that there's a that there's a line of revelation and spiritual unfolding, and what we're dealing with is not just a disassociated group of religious uh, uh, people that have decided to be religious, but the church is God's household. And that has tremendous meaning to us as individuals. Ephesians 4.16. Okay, this, this uses the picture of a body, but nevertheless, the, the word edification, uh, edifying, is used, and there again, it's not a solitary experience, is it? It's not something that's done by ourselves. It's something it has to do, and though it uses the body, and these, uh, these terms are used uh, uh, synonymously and interchangeably, it gives us the understanding that archidomies, or building God's house, has no place in it for the singular or the, uh, or the individual thing. And so uh, the entire passage of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 fits together and is trying to bring out the gifts that God brings into our lives are not for our personal edification, but it's for the edification of the building of the whole of the house of God. Okay, this is beginning to unfold to us. But we see this morning that God does not build his house alone. And so I want several scriptures over in this section, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. Uh, Lee Orient and Brother Van Dyke, would you get for me Romans 15, 24? No, 15, 20. Romans 15, 20. And Lee uh, Orient, would you get for me 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15? I need Ephesians 2, 20 uh, again. Somebody who, Dan, would you just hold your finger in that and we want to read, read it back uh, for a minute. Uh, we find out that not only does God build, but there also is a, a thrilling and an exciting facet of this that men also are called or have a part in building this, or they are participators or cooperators as this is built by God. First Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. We are laborers together with God. You are God's building. Paul says, I'm a wise master builder. 
Okay, now you need to take heed, Paul says, after I have as a master builder set the foundation and got it correctly in place, or the foundation, now he says, you as individual members in the church, be careful how you build. Go ahead. Okay, in this participation that we uh, build with God, he says it's going to cost you something to build correctly. And while you're building, always remember that God's going to bring it into trial. And so only that which has cost you something has right motivations, it is sacrificially, and is not, uh, is not something that you've done for your own ambition is going to stand the test of time. And so he says remember that when you're building as God builds with you. Romans 15, verse 20. Paul says, I'm a, a builder, but he says, I'm not building on other men's foundations. He said, uh, my ministry is not on proselyting. My ministry is laying the foundation and putting that foundation in people's souls because he said, I'm building the church. Very careful that I do that. Says my calling is not to proselyte people, steal fish out of other people's bowls, but to catch fish. Very important that we remember that. It'd be a terrible thing to have a lifetime of work, and when you got through, you found out it was a waste of time because you you spent your life building another people's foundation. Amen. Ephesians two twenty. Okay, here we have the thought again that the church is built and that we have a participation in that. Do we have any question right at that point as we're moving through that understanding? We've, we've covered a lot of ground, and it's been uh, this is triggering a lot of thoughts in your minds. And so, Jeff Brown, a uh, question. Okay, a comment. Yes, right. The beautiful thing about it is that, uh, that in God's economy, see, this is what we're moving into, and we're going to get into this when we get into the full uh, administration of, uh, of stewardship and understanding of the church as God's people, and we get into the administration of time and, and his uh, resources, uh, is that beautiful thing is that the Scripture represents him as the chief cornerstone, and then the building is built. I'm not a very good uh, drawer, but the whole building is there, but it's all in God's economy merged together that the cornerstone does not stand alone, but his church is, is, is the believers, is all of God's house, and it's merged together. This is why that uh, Jesus said to the Apostle Paul when he'd been persecuting and hailing believers, he said, uh, why persecutest thou me? Is because in God's economy, he sees the church as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when we get on over, it says, if you, any man destroy this temple, God will destroy him. Go ahead. You take a shot at the church. You tear it up. You take it on, your, on yourself to destroy the church. You, you'll have to settle it with God because it's his temple, and the Scripture says if any man destroy that temple, he'll destroy it. You go ahead and do your thing. Don't take into consideration the body of Christ. You make your decisions. You live your life in solitary and you let the ramifications of your decision flow out upon God's church. But when you do, when that's destructive to the body of Jesus Christ or the house of God, you'll deal with God because if any man destroy the temple, 
Him, God will destroy. It says that in First Corinthians. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Jeff? Okay. I had another hand over here, I think. Rob? Self-interest is the greatest enemy of the kingdom of God. This is what sin really is. Sin, in a nutshell, is self-interest. Self-exaltation, the deification of self. That's what we're dealing with. This is the greatest problem we have. Excellent. Okay. Uh, we're moving pretty good. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a couple of other thoughts as we're talking about building. And uh, this is built for... Now, here's our house. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, is built for a habitation of God. Now, here's the mind blower. Is God has chosen in his economy to make our bodies his home, his dwelling place. And when he says dwell, that word means that he moves in, moves all the appliances in, all the furniture, all the belongings in, and takes up residence in. doesn't mean he just visits. He comes in like a motel room, floats in and out. Stays, spend the night sometime, and then he moves on to the next town. All of this is that we might become a habitation of God through the Spirit, or dwelling place of God. Okay, let's, uh, let's go back. Uh, whoever had 1 Peter 2.5, grab that for us. Uh, somebody had that before. Uh, this was, I believe it was Steve Domorowski. Could I get 1 Corinthians 6.19? Somebody in here. Uh, Randy Foster. And uh, Mark Pepich, would you get for me 1 Corinthians 3? 16 through 19. I need 2 Corinthians 6.16. Uh, Kaler, 2 Corinthians 6.16. I need Ephesians 2.21 and 2. Uh, Gail Nur. Uh, uh, Nur. Kirschman. Ephesians 2.21 and 22. I knew her before you did. <laughs> Okay. Built for his habitation, or we could, uh, we could, uh, uh, the two thoughts are there, the house or the body, and uh, the thoughts are there for his habitation and for his expression. In other words, God has taken up residence, his reason is for his expression, and the two are synonymous because God's house is not just a a building that just resides, but when we move on into a little bit more, we find out that this is a place, or Zion means a place on earth from which God's government is expressed in kingdom. And so uh, we're just going to pass by that without stopping. First Peter 2.5. Okay, you are living stones, and you're there to, for God to have his, uh, his habitation and there to give an expression of his will in worship back to himself. First uh, Peter 2, 5. First Corinthians 6, 19. This, uh, this says... 
that uh, that uh, this uh, this building, this house that God is building, it's a spiritual entity now. We've moved from the physical on into the concept. Is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. First Corinthians three sixteen through nineteen. the context is that collectively it's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as God's habitation and if you defile that, if you tamper with that, if you mess with that then the scripture says you're going to reckon that with God. 2 Corinthians 6.16 Go ahead. Okay, here we have again the, uh, that uh, we are uh, God's house, and God's house is especially, especially for his uh, habitation and for his expression. Ephesians 2, 21 and 2. Okay, you're built together for a habitation or a living place of God through the Spirit. Okay, let's just kind of pause there for a moment and get some feedback. Comments? Uh, Ken Helton. Yes. He never does talk about us as individual being the building. See, that's totally foreign. That concept is totally foreign to the, uh, the revelation of the Bible. That's strictly a Western concept. You'll never find in Scripture that God, uh, God gives us liberty to, to consider ourselves unattached from the body or unattached from the house of God. We know that we are because we have two legs and we walk around. Amen? But we only come into that expression in the collective thing. This is why the people say, oh, I can worship God at home. You, you'll find that in the, in the Bible. See, the church is the assembly. We learned that when we were studying the uh, the church over and over again. The church is the assembly, and it and it expresses God's will uh, in relationship to the whole, not as lone ranger individuals as we ride out and do our thing. And this is the, this is the teaching of that is uh, is one of the most destructive things in the in the west in Western Christianity. And you'll find this especially in Western Christianity. When I'm talking about Western, I'm talking about the Western world. But in the in the Oriental thought and in Scripture, you do not find that. This is it. it uh, and, the, and the longer that you study and the longer you live, you find out how deep goes this truth of uh, all of life has to do with the relationship with each other. And you cannot violate that. If you violate that, what a heavy, heavy price you pay. See, you can you can get mad. You can do your thing. You can go and uh, and. Uh, and uh, running off, and but you pay a horrible price. You pay and you pay and you pay and you pay and you pay. It is, it is foreign, totally foreign to the revelation of God's word. See, this is beginning to come through, isn't it? See, because we think, and and, and it's just it's just so common 
that uh, I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so we think of this individually, and it is true in a sense, but it isn't true in its full uh, scope. It's only as we're in relationship to each other. As a matter of fact, uh, when, you, uh, when you break relationship and violate the rest of the house, you soon begin to pay that price in your own um, expression of that Holy Spirit that you have inside. It becomes out bitter. It becomes out... It comes out with uh, all kinds of things. You can uh, you just push it and out it'll come. You may prophesy, but the prophecy will be filled with vindication and judgment and, uh, and, uh, and railing. Amen? Okay, you've heard that. See, people prophesy, and the prophecy comes out, and it's, it's vengeance, it's, it's revenge. Uh, every, every scripture that they read, every scripture they talk about, it becomes something that feeds their own break of relationship with the, with the church of Jesus Christ. I had another hand back here somewhere. Uh, Mike? Like the prodigal son, he took off from the household and split the relationship there and he paid for a long time to... Prodigal son. Amen. Okay. His habitation. Ike? Okay, we are living stones and not bricks. That means that we are like a rock mason. I don't know if you've ever seen a house built by a rock mason. But as a rock mason, those rocks are each individually engineered for that place. See, this is living stones. The problem with living stones is that we can get up and walk away. Okay, you cannot ignore doctrine, and so uh, what I do is I say this is what the gospel is. Anybody's preaching the gospel, I know that's true, not because my denomination teaches it, but because I've proven what I what I believe personally. It's in the Word of God, and so anyone preaching the gospel, I have no problem with them. I don't care what denomination they are. See, we have people come to our conferences that don't belong to our denomination at all, but they believe the same. Uh, when it begins to be fringe. Uh, then this is, uh, this is something completely different. This means that I have a responsibility to speak the truth and not compromise that simply for uh, the accommodation of fellowship. And so we have that responsibility. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, you're into a whole field over there which I don't have the answer to, but I know that I am responsible to what's in the book. It's like Martin Luther. He said if, uh, if uh, we have to compromise the Word of God for the sake of unity and, and put the Word of God to stake. Why, a better, peace, a better war than peace then. That's why we have the whole Reformation come because Martin Luther said, well, I can't handle the Roman Catholic Church. They're not teaching the Word of God. And so uh, he, that was his statement that he made. He said, if we have to put the Word of God to stake, then better war than peace. And so I don't have the answer to all the things you get into, but I know that I am responsible to what's in the Word of God. I'm responsible to know what's in there, as a matter of fact. Okay, are you getting the thought? This, the house, the habitation, and uh, the thought came as these people were talking that, uh, I don't know, if you, has anybody ever been in, a, in, a, in an assembly, some of you older Christians, that were built by rebels? Whole group of rebels here. Any of you ever been in one? Uh, now, can you, can you get the, the, the thought of this? Here's rebels. They're not going to do what God wants them to do. And so they're all in 
Not building, it's not a, not a house that God built, but that man built. And what a horrible thing to be in a structure full of rebels. God deliver me. Full of rebels. Or that had been manipulated by the slick charisma of man. Okay, let's pass over that. I want to finish this study before we get through, and I want several scriptures, uh, and we're, uh, we're, we're running out of time. But uh, we, we want to lock in as the house of God. We are stewards of God. And I want 1 Corinthians 4, 1, and 2. This is a very important scripture. Uh, my brother right here, 1 Corinthians 4, 1, and 2. I want Colossians 1, 23 through 25. Somebody in this section, Gail. I want Luke 16, 1 and 2, uh, Denny. I want uh, uh, Romans 14, 12, uh, John. And I want um, Titus 1, 7, uh, Brother Kleppel, and 1 Peter 4, 10, uh, Kaler. And I want Matthew 25, 14, and 15, Cindy. These are all scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, Colossians 1, 23 through 25, Luke 16, 1 and 2, and verses 10 and 11. We're going to read also Romans 14, 12, Titus 1, 7, 1 Peter 4, 10, Matthew 25, 14 and 15. And you can write down, we're not going to share this, we're running out of time, Luke 12, 41 through 48. All right, now, as a house of God then, we're going to begin to have to think about accountability. Because as the house of God, this, the revelation brings to us that every believer is a steward. Or an administrator. Or a minister. Every believer, a minister, an administrator or a steward of God, every believer. Okay, now we get down to where the rubber meets the road. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Okay, now here this scripture becomes alive, doesn't it? We read it before, and we don't fully understand what it is. But when we read it now, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, uh, he says we, and he's talking about the church uh, corporate, need to understand that we are stewards of God. We're the ministers of God, and we're stewards of God's mysteries. And so, as such, there's an accountability that comes as we understand that Every believer is a steward or administrator or a minister of God. Colossians 1, 23 through 25. Okay, here we find that whole thought running through there. Paul, now we understand what a minister is, don't we? A minister is one who, and we are all ministers. See, that's what you need to understand. Who dispenses God's word in the gospel. Every believer is a minister 
and is held accountable because he has to be faithful in that action. Luke 16, 1 and 2. Then verses 10 and 11. Okay, he begins to talk to them and he, he pulls right out of now. In the New Testament, he pulls out this thought of a certain rich man who had a steward. And he heard that he was ripping him off and so he said, I'm going to fire this guy. So he says, get the books in order. You're, get, you're fired. And so he goes into this parable which we won't take time with at this moment. And then... When he winds up, then Jesus talks directly to the, the, uh, the disciples. And he begins to lay home the truth and says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful in much, and he that is unfaithful in that which is least is unfaithful in much. Many people say, If I could just be direct to the door, I'd be faithful. If I was on a music group, or if I was a leader, if I was in charge, if I could drive one of those buses and, and be, uh, be a heavy on the gorilla team, tell people where to go and get off and get on, and, and do a, if I could just do that, I'd be faithful. But they don't ever ask me to do anything. They don't even ask me to be an usher and take an offering. Jesus said, He that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful also in much. But if you have not been faithful in the smallest, then God knows you won't be faithful with the heavy things either. Okay? We're getting a feeling of that, aren't we? And so this all fits into stewards of God. Romans 14, 12. Every one of us shall give account of himself. This flows right back into the steward principle. Luke 12, uh, rather, uh, Titus 1, 7. An overseer, one who is in charge of shepherding God's people, must be faithful as a steward of God. A pastor is just as accountable as someone who is a steward. And he just, this doesn't mean that every believer is not accountable, but he uses that and he says it's just like keeping books. God's keeping books with you. You want to be a pastor? A lot of people say, I want to be a pastor. Man, you can wear those three-piece suits and just be... Well, God keeps books with pastors, okay? Uh, 1 Peter 4.10. Okay, he's talking to the entire church and says, the grace that God has given you, the gifts that he's placed in your life, God's going to hold you accountable of these as ministers of the manifold grace of God or as stewards, administrators, managers of God's grace. And Matthew twenty five, fourteen and fifteen. Okay. Uh, we're gonna pass over a lot of things, but I want to nail down and, and lock in with some questions. We're talking about stewards or servants of God. So then we're responsible to God for our tasks. We are responsible to him for the well-being of his household. We're responsible for him for our performance, our relationship. This has to do with our property, has to do with our goods, 
has to do with the well-being of his house, the affairs, and of our delegated responsibility. Can you say amen? Okay, now, I want to just capture your thinking before we go beyond this, and there's, there's some other scriptures that you can write down. And uh, I'm not going to take time to read these, with, but uh, Luke 12, 35 through 38, you can write those down for your own study. Luke 12, 35 through 38. Luke 19, 13 through 25. Luke 19, 13 through 25. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. And Luke 16, 1 through 13. All have to do with the tremendous truth that we have before us. But I want to, to draw your minds back to Matthew 16. Remember we talked about uh, a steward having keys to the stores, didn't we? All right, there are two scriptures that have great importance in this. And this is in Matthew 16, when the Lord Jesus said unto Peter, Peter, uh, I say unto you, I'll build my church and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of God. Whatsoever you bind will be bound uh, uh, in heaven, and whatsoever you loose shall be loosed. Okay, he's, this is a stewardship picture. He's talking about those who believe as becoming administrators over God's kingdom. We become dispensers then of, and 1 Peter 4.10 fits into that, but this is where this mysterious thing about keys comes in. Because stewards wore, and a badge of their authority was that they carried keys. Uh, what, what do you got in your pocket, Bob? Chain of keys, don't you? Looks like that. What's that for? Keep people out of doors. They're not supposed to be there to keep equipment locked up, especially at conference time. It's in the back room so nobody sees what we've got. Right? Because they all develop a need for it. Okay, this is the thought exactly that is there. The thought flashes back into the stewardship principle, and this fits in Revelation 3, 7, where the Lord Jesus himself resurrected, speaks to the church, and says, I have the key of David. Fit that together with Acts 15 again, and uh, the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David, and the fulfillment of the promise, God says, I'll build your house. And Jesus said, I've got the key of David. Here's the administrator now of the prophecy and the promise of God. And Jesus turns to his church and says to them, now you are involved in this as stewards and administrators and ministers and dispensers and managers of God's household. See, when that begins to sink into you, the hireling preacher syndrome begins to go out the window. All a pastor is is a chairman of God's people. He is not the one hired to do all the business, to do all the responsibility, and you can go do what you want to do, but he has to perform a certain way. He's responsible for winning all the souls. He's responsible for witnessing. He's responsible for this. He's responsible for that. He can pick up the paper. He can take care of things. He can take care of all the people who are in trouble. He can chase down all the backsliders. He can solve all the problems. Are you still with me? You have a responsibility in the house of God. You have as great a responsibility as any overseer or any leader in the kingdom of God. Your responsibility is as great, and God will hold you as, as accountable as me. If I have to be here 
You have to be here. Oh, well, then the, the, the pastor will be there. What, what if I did like some, some of you folk did? You say, I ain't going tonight. What if I did that about 6 o'clock? I told my wife, I ain't going. Well, why? Well, I, I, don't like, uh, I don't like the way you've been talking to me today. I'm upset. I'm mad. There's no sense of me going to church. I don't get anything out of it. Or uh, Don Galati didn't shake my hand today, and I came in, and I'm upset. You know, I, I saw that look in his eye, and I, I got a feeling he don't like me. I ain't going. Wouldn't God's church be a mess? See, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but I'm talking to people that you've laid out because you had a fight with your wife. Making a difference whether you had to fight your wife or not. Still responsible to come and, and, uh, and be in the house of God, be in the assembly. You got mad at, uh, oh, what's his face? You know, he's always not acting like he should be, and so you got mad at him. You're going to lay out and pout. See, God holds you accountable. Okay, Dan? We don't understand it. That's right. No. Would not take the responsibility. That's right. That's right. We have millions in the professing Church of Jesus Christ that are the one talent. Christian who are gimme, 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 but they do not want to take responsibility. We're out of time. I know how interesting it's getting. The Lord bless you. Next week we'll continue.